This is Andreas Antonopoulos, and welcome to Unscripted, an audio-enhanced version of my most popular unscripted talks where I explore Bitcoin and open blockchains at the intersection of technology, economics, and politics. If it's not useful to you, that doesn't mean it's not useful. It just means you're privileged. Caution. Unscripted is not for all audiences. Side effects may include loss of appetite due to a sudden and unexpected obsession with disruptive technology and confusion about whether you understand how money really works. Job dissatisfaction and a desire for rebellion have been reported. Entrepreneurial activity may occur upon standing. Unscripted may lower your ability to tolerate bankers and lead to contempt for all unearned authority, which could become permanent. If Unscripted gives you an irrational feeling of hope for the future of humanity, please click subscribe immediately. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> Andreas M. Antonopoulos is a technologist and serial entrepreneur who's become one of the most well-known and respected figures in Bitcoin. In the killer app, Bananas on the Blockchain, Andreas focuses on the two main killer apps in the open blockchain ecosystem, Sound Money and Governance. In the last episode, he advocated for universal access to basic finance. Now he shoots back at the elitist finance tycoons who say they don't need cryptocurrencies while prioritizing venture capital funding toward projects that lack all of an open blockchain's best features. He argues that they fail to consider the broader needs of the other 6 billion people. Watch out for those banana peels, Mr. Buffett. This talk took place on June 13, 2019, during the CoinScrum meetup in London, England. This series is called Unscripted for a reason. All of Andreas's talks are performed without slides or notes. You can find corrections and clarifications in the podcast description. So thank you so much for coming here today. Um, if you don't know uh, what I do, I've written a number of books. Uh, Mastering Bitcoin is a book about uh, how Bitcoin uh, works. The first one there, Mastering Ethereum is about how Ethereum works. These are technical books for software engineers. They're also suitable for computer science uh, college um, level people. It's also good for people who have a technical aptitude and want to learn a bit more about coding. But if that's not your thing, these two books, The Internet of Money, Volume 1 and Volume 2, are a collection of all of the talks I've given, edited to remove all of the mistakes I made while giving those talks and, and make me sound absolutely accurate and prescient in everything I say. And they're all like self-contained little stories, like four or five pages. Um, and I, I tell people that my initial, my initial goal for these books was to make them the perfect toilet book. You can jump in at any point, read four or five pages in five to seven minutes, you know, good timing. And, and then I can, I can deliver really important principles and memes directly into your brain when you're at your most vulnerable. Um, and you can do that to your friends too. You're like, yeah, this will get them reading. And what you do is you remove all of the other reading materials, including shampoo bottles from Reach, and then you put the books right there. And they sit down and they don't have anything else to do. Ah, ah, yeah, you see the plan? It's working. So today's talk is going to be short. I want to talk about the killer app. What is the killer app? So first, let's start with Bitcoin. What is the killer app for Bitcoin? Money. Money is the killer app for Bitcoin. And you can look at different aspects of money. You know, some people are like, really, it's more about payments, medium of exchange, more about keeping value, so store value. Uh, maybe it's about capital flights, remittances to third world countries or developing countries. Maybe it's about monetary sovereigns. Yeah. Steak. Yeah. Guns and beer. No, okay, I went too far. And maybe, maybe it's just about uh, being able to be in control. 
Maybe it's about having access to financial services because you don't, because you either live in a country where those things are not available or because you're part of the population that is for whatever reason excluded, right? You walk into a bank and as soon as you start typing out your name in the application form, they're like, uh, thank you very much for coming in today, sir. Um, your name is too unpronounceable for an esteemed institution like, ah, lovely British bank. Um, <laughs> please this way, security. <laughs> and you can't get a bank, right? Which happens to a lot of people. Um, I realized when I started becoming a nomad and I started traveling continuously that my inability to produce sufficient documentation about my address, because I didn't really live in one place, um, disqualified me from banking. The fact that I'm American disqualifies me from banking worldwide because they don't want to touch Americans. They have to do too much reporting. So the moment I say, and I'm also an American citizen, they're like, mm -hmm, security. And, uh, in the US, they want you know, two utility bills and a proof of address, a rental contract, blah, 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 blah. And I had none of those things because I didn't live in one place. I'm like, how about a short-term rental in Airbnb for two weeks? Um, denied, denied, denied. Again and again, I could not open. And that's before I answered the next question, which is what do you do for a living? Uh, you know, the usual answer is e-commerce, uh, <laughs> e-commerce, I mean, digital currencies, e-commerce, because if you say the B word, not banking, Bitcoin, um, again, you know, it's like truck dealer security. <laughs> and so that's the end of that conversation. Money is the killer app because money as an app hasn't existed before. And Money is a very important part of how we organize society, and it's no longer a privilege. It is a fundamental requirement for modern life anywhere in the world. And at the same time, it's something that is often denied to a lot of people. It's often something that's very difficult and expensive. And sometimes you find out that even if you have money, even if you have a respectable job and a respectable paycheck and respectable savings in the bank, you lack these weird qualifications, right? I got asked most recently when I went back to Greece and I was trying to deal with some banking situation in Greece. They asked me for proof of my landline. <laughs> Land what? <laughs> landline. Sir, I haven't had a landline since 1989. Get with the century already. Um, but no, landline, they wanted proof of permanent address as provided by a landline. All right. So, you know, my landline is installed in my castle right next to where I park my steam engine in the telegraph office. <laughs> Now turn on my oil lamp and let's have dinner by the fireplace. Um, so the funny thing is that money is not something you can take for granted. Here's the thing. We often talk about, and I often get questions about what comes next. What do we do other than finance? What is the blockchain application? Can we do voting? Can we do real estate? Can we do logistics on the blockchain, right? And if you have conversations with traditional corporations, they don't want to touch money at all. They're not interested. 
It's an overregulated space. It's full of risk. They don't want anything to do with it. So you go into these corporate meetings and you're like, listen, six billion people who are on banks, we can rise them out of poverty. Money is an important application. We can give opportunity to people who are downtrodden. Think about what we can do to change people's lives. And while you're saying all of that, Todd next to you goes, we could track bananas <laughs> on the blockchain and do a logistics blockchain. And you're like, but the people who are impoverished, and he goes, bananas on the blockchain. And your boss goes, Todd, you're a genius. Give that man a bonus. Let's install Hyperledger or a clone of Ethereum or some other distributed ledger technology so we can track bananas on the blockchain. You saved us. We can really make some money with this. Nobody wants to hear about what is the important application. The important application matters to those who are principled about the grassroots effort that we're involved in. So forget about selling this to your boss. But every time someone asks you about building that next generation application, tracking real estate on the blockchain, voting on the blockchain, changing the nature of the nation state governance model on the blockchain, and even bananas on the blockchain, first, we have to do money right. We can't build any of the other things until we get money right. And part of the reason we have to get money right is because this lays down the foundation. And that foundation is what is required for broad adoption. Until Bitcoin came along, the state of security among all of the people I know around me was so horrific they all had passwords like password one, two, three, four. What? It's my, yeah, my birthday. What? It's fine, right? They didn't care about their personal privacy and security. And the reason they didn't care is because the impact of having your privacy violated is not felt directly, right? So you're like, ah, I'm doing the Farmville on the Facebook and ads are coming in and they're so personalized and I'm losing privacy any second now. And, you know, and 25 years from now, our government is a hellhole fascistic dictatorship, but I get to play Candy Crush. Um, so you don't really see the impact of gradually eroding democracy and erosion of all of our social institutions and the destruction of privacy across an entire generation because that happens later. In the meantime, you're playing Candy Crush. So it's okay. But you put Bitcoin on someone's phone and suddenly they're like, I need a plan. I need some security here. Can I do a three factor authentication with a quantum secure code? And suddenly they start throwing out words. You're like, I don't know. I'm not sure a paper wallet will be good enough. I really need a hardware wallet. And people start upgrading their security. And you're like, great, Jim. I'm so excited you finally got it. Like, how much Bitcoin did you buy? I'm like, 11 pounds, 11 pounds, and it was up to 13 last week. And they're like, security, long passwords. People get excited. More importantly, when you have money on your phone, it changes your perspective. Now it's a wallet, it's not just a phone. And suddenly you understand why someone would want to steal it. And that creates this really interesting situation because for the first time, people are using public key cryptography in a civilian setting in the largest deployment of public key cryptography we've ever seen in the world. Until Bitcoin, 
The largest deployment of public key cryptography was the Department of Defense, United States Department of Defense. And now it's Bitcoin. And that is because people need security in order to protect money. Now, if people need security to protect money, they protect their keys. They back up their keys because it's their money. And if those keys are well protected and well backed up, now you can do interesting things like put a voting system on it. Otherwise, they don't care about security. Also, if you don't have censorship-resistant money, you can't build any of the other applications so that those applications can be borderless, neutral, censorship-resistant, global, publicly verifiable. If we build those other applications without a foundation of sound and secure money, those applications will be centralized. Those applications will be censorable. Those applications will be country-specific. They won't be interoperable. They won't be on open APIs. We need to lay that foundation. Now, this is a message that's very easy to explain to people who are interested in Bitcoin. So let's switch to Ethereum. Because when you tell people in the Ethereum space, guess what? You need Bitcoin. They don't believe you, right? They're like, we can do everything that Bitcoin does, except security, just as well with smart contracts. <laughs> there are some fundamental trade-offs. The flexibility you need in order to do smart contracts does not go well with building very robust, secure, nation-state-resistant sound money. Which is why, on the other hand, when you talk to Bitcoin people, are like, we can do smart contracts too. We're like, no, don't. Even if you could, you don't want to. The compromises you'll need to make, the flexibility you'll need to introduce, will undermine all of the things that make Bitcoin secure, sound, robust money. Let us do our thing, let them do their thing, and let's play together. Bitcoin takes a lot of flack. Money for criminals, drug dealers, terrorists, pornographers, same things they said about the internet. And that's great because it provides distraction for Ethereum to go to unicorns and rainbows and puppies and distributed finance. But you can't do all of that if you don't have a secure basis to on-ramp everybody. You can't do all of that if your network can be attacked and denied service and shut down in certain countries. So Bitcoin provides the foundation that allows Ethereum people to be freaky. And I love freaky because there's a lot of innovation and creativity there, right? It's like a big brother who's like, you can dress any way you want, kid. And if anybody gives you any trouble, I'll show them, right? That's Bitcoin. So what's the killer app of Ethereum? Yeah. Okay. What else? Stable coins. The DAO. I'm not kidding. Governance. The DAO, decentralized autonomous organizations, reinventing the modern corporation, building systems of governance. Everything interesting on Ethereum is a programmable system of governance that is decentralized. Stable coins on Ethereum, which are decentralized, they are based on a foundation of a governance model that's using smart contracts. Everything interesting that's happening in Ethereum is governance. Ethereum is a platform for governance. Let's not talk about how you do governance for Ethereum. That's a whole other problem. But you can do governance with Ethereum, right? And 
Maybe it's going to be another version of Ethereum, and maybe it's going to be a different blockchain that does smart contracts and virtual machines. And maybe none of that is going to make the price go up. I'm not talking about price or investment. I'm talking about what is the purpose of a programmable, flexible, smart contracts platform where you can do public verifiability of the execution and state of a smart contract. And the use of that is governance. And if you combine governance with sound money, something magical happens. You can do some really incredible things, but you can't do any of those until you first lay a platform for sound money. And what are the killer apps for other blockchains that are out there? I don't know yet. This is a beautiful ecosystem full of different things that are evolving in parallel to occupy different ecological niches or application niches that will do different things. And some of them are shit. That's okay. The beautiful thing about this open source space is we learn as much when they fail as when they succeed. No, we learn more when they fail. You sit back and you watch that beautiful explosion and you're like, hmm. I wonder what happened there. Let's tear it apart and find out. <laughs> that postmortem of the destruction is actually a great, let's not do that. So now we know one way in which proof of stake systems blow up. Great. <laughs> let's not do that. Delegated proof of stake systems that have collapsed into infighting, lobbying, accusations, and lawsuits. Oh, great. Now we know how delegated proof-of-stake systems fail. Uh, we learned a lot from that experiment. We now know how DAOs fail. Yeah, reentrancy bugs. Nobody was talking about reentrancy bugs before the DAO. We've learned a lot since. So if other systems in the broader ecosystem of blockchains run experiments, you should have a bit of faith. You should have a bit more faith in the thing that you believe in to say, let them do their thing. I don't need to warn other people that they're scams or shit coins. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm not the oracle. Maybe other people should do their own research and find out for themselves. And maybe some of those experiments are going to teach us something useful. I'm particularly fascinated by privacy coins, which are doing some amazing work in zero-knowledge proofs and range proofs, for example. Like, for example, Zcash had a catastrophic inflation bug because of an error in the white paper that described the uh, joint computation mechanism to bootstrap the zero-knowledge snark. We wouldn't have learned that unless Zcash tried to do it first. Now, it really sucks for them because we don't know how many coins were created in the meantime, but it doesn't suck for us because we can learn now that, okay, if we were to introduce zero-knowledge snarks into Bitcoin, we have to consider the trade-off against the sound monetary properties. And maybe it's a risk that's too big, or maybe it's a risk worth taking. At least we know one way in which it fails. Maybe there are more. Maybe we'll find them. Let them play a bit more. We need guinea pigs. We need experimentation. And I don't want this space to close up and round up the wagons and go, nobody else will succeed. There can be only one. Gargan. There's only one leader. There's only one doctrine. There's only one true faith. That's not science. That's religion. I don't do religion. Feel free to do it if you want. I don't do litmus tests. I don't do purity tests. 
I do intellectual curiosity. And my intellectual curiosity is piqued by all of these experiments going on. So, sound money, governance, privacy, non-fungible tokens, utility tokens, even ICOs. ICOs are all shit, right? Yes. <laughs> they're also the greatest revolution that's going to ever happen to finance because they're going to allow a global pool of startups to access capital anywhere in the world from the most organic early stage funding all the way through mega corporation or mega DAO because they've reinvented the corporation. And they're going to offer the most incredible opportunity to billions of people around the world who are impoverished and have no access to investment opportunities to invest in great ideas, to learn how to do due diligence, to become better investors. And with that, to secure a better future for their families. The entire VC to stock market space is about to get disrupted by the greatest new development in funding for early stage startups that has ever happened. And right now, all of them are shit. Can you hold those two ideas in your head at the same time? Can you say right now it's a zoo, but out of that is going to come the biggest revolution in finance? Can we say right now it's a lot of people who are doing a lot of scams? The traditionalists in this space say we need vetting and regulation in order to fix the problems of the new model of decentralized crowdfunding. We need to introduce an 18th century model of committee based oversight and regulation. I say in order to fix the problems of decentralized crowdfunding, we need to introduce decentralized vetting, decentralized due diligence, decentralized reputation scoring. We can build all of the tools to improve the quality of investments, the quality of research, the quality of reputation management, so we can better serve investors. We can build programmable escrow systems that allow us to ensure that the founder can't run away with the money without the approval of the rest of the board, or even yet better, that the founder and the board only get one quarter's worth of funding until the shareholders say, you're doing pretty good, we'll give you another quarter. And they vote to give them another round and another round and trickle out the money. Because if you're a young idealist, who just came out with the best idea and the best team and the best execution, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is $100 million in your bank account. Because within one month, you'll be wondering how it was possible to spend so much money on cocaine, <laughs> champagne, and strippers. You thought your CFO had things under control. Turns out, your CFO was doing most of the coke. <laughs> a lot of money really, really fast destroys startups. I've seen it again and again. I've worked with people where you watch their personality change when suddenly they become richer than they ever imagined. And they start taking shortcuts. So even the possibility that they might become rich, they start taking shortcuts. Greed is a very powerful emotion. Can we regulate that? Can we build systems that gradually deliver funds? I think we can. So before you automatically close your mind and say, this is just all noise. Yes, a lot of it is, but some of it isn't. 
And it's really important to maintain that curiosity and be ready for the next wave of innovation that's actually going to improve things. So look out and recognize there isn't one killer app. There's one killer app usually for each one of these different systems because they can only do one thing well. You can't be a master of all trades because then you become terrible at all of them. We can't have one system that does sound money and smart contracts and low fees and unlimited scalability and full de decentralization and nation state resistant security. Although I'm pretty sure I read that in a brochure of a new blockchain that just came out. They claim to do all of those things. When you see claims like that, you have to think there's one of two things going on. Either they don't even understand the fundamental engineering trade-offs. And that's really dispiriting. It's like, so you think you can do all of these things? You really don't understand the fundamentals or they're just lying. Now, that's a bit more reassuring because lying I can understand. If you've been in this industry so long and you can't understand that there are trade-offs and you refuse to believe that there are trade-offs, well, then I can't really help you. There are going to be killer apps coming in many different ways in many different dimensions. And remember the other important adage, if it's not useful to you, that doesn't mean it's not useful. It just means you in that particular domain are privileged. When you hear Warren Buffett said, I don't need crypto. Of course you don't need crypto. <laughs> You're a white haired old man with billions of dollars. Have you been denied banking services? <laughs> Unlikely. Jamie Dimon, I see no use for crypto. Of course you don't see any use for crypto. You haven't met a single person in your life who's not a millionaire. You ask these people to talk about their life. One of them recently said that they think you need ID to buy things at a supermarket. They were talking about how we should introduce ID at voting. Do you know why? They've never been to a fucking supermarket. <laughs> Their butler does that, right? I've met people who have been stranded by the side of the road because their cars were refueled by the staff and they didn't know what the little orange light was. And when the car stopped working, they didn't know how to put gas in it. Not 15 year olds, 30 year olds, right? So when you say, I don't need this technology, what you're saying is my life already has this in it. And that's why I don't need it. But think about the people who do need that. Maybe you don't need governance because you have good gut. Okay, wait, I'm in Britain. You do need governance. <laughs> Maybe you do need governance. So you can run another bloody referendum and do what the majority wants. Well, you'll end up with Boris Johnson. <laughs> I think I can actually still vote here. Maybe I should come back. Um, just for that one vote. <laughs> like, hello, I'm a Yank. I heard you're having troubles. Let me vote. Um, so to sum it up, the killer apps are usually very specific. Before we build the next generation of killer apps, we have to lay strong foundations. And often enough, the strong foundations represent technologies that are actually boring. 
Nobody wants to hear that instead of building AI-driven, deep neural network, drone-based delivery systems for Tor routing of drugs on the dark market using smart contracts, what they should actually be building is a decentralized exchange or a wallet that actually works for real human beings that can be understood by people who don't have a degree in computer science. Those are the boring things, but they're the necessary things so we can get to the next level. We're going to do rounds of building boring infrastructure to open up the space for applications that bring new users, which then overwhelm the scale of our infrastructure and requires to build more boring infrastructure to create more room for more applications and rinse and repeat. And hopefully we will continue to do that without failing too bad for 25 years, just like the internet has. Start building simple, build strong foundations. Don't sneer at other people's ideas of what is the next step or what is the killer app. Understand that your needs don't represent everybody's needs. Understand that an app that's not useful to you might be useful to someone else. And understand that in a permissioned environment, you need to have permission to innovate. But in a permissionless environment, you only need a market size of two. You and your buddy who want to make one app to do something really weird that no one else is interested in. And that's the beauty of the internet. That's the beauty of open permissionless systems. You can build that. And maybe when you build it, you discover, actually, there's a few other people who wanted to use it, right? So, killer app, money, killer app, governance, killer app, privacy, and then we'll see what comes next. Thank you. The narration for this episode was done by Stephanie Murphy. Production and show notes were organized by JR with administrative support from Erica and production assistance from Jessica. The original video editing was done by Adrian Tano. Sound engineering by Dimitri Sangelidis from Sampi Media. The unscripted logo was designed by Davi Barker. And the music used in both the video and audio versions of these talks is called Unbounded by Orfan. You can find him at facebook.com slash O-R-F-A-N. There is no space to say we don't belong